If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 1 for our passage this morning. This past week, I've read uh, several interesting articles. Uh, The intent of the article was to uh, promote corporate worship in all of its formats. And in that one article in particular, they pointed our attention to the Westminster Confession of Faith Larger Catechism 155. And this I find to be a wonderful um, explanation to the benefit of the reading and hearing of the Word of God. And if it's been a while since you've um, memorized the larger catechism, I'd be impressed if you have, but some of you might have. Um, Question 155 asks this, how is the Word of God made effectual or effective unto salvation? And it answers this, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of enlightening convincing and humbling sinners of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptation and corruption, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation." And so if we were to ask this morning, what is the benefit of the Word of God? What does the Word of God do? Here is but a short list of things that the Word of God does. And it's for this reason we take great joy and comfort in reading it and hearing it today. And what we have in our passage this morning as we see Jesus drawing in more disciples, is this idea, this concept actually played out. What does the Word of God produce? It produces belief. It produces faith. It produces a desire to want to know God and be known by Him. And so we'll get to see a really practical example of this um, catechism answer uh, shown before us this morning. With that being said, I invite you to follow along with me as I read the Word of God this morning. I would like to begin in John chapter 1, verse 43, and read to the end of the chapter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I have said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of God. Would you please bow with me as we go to him in prayer. Almighty God, we come before you this day thankful for your word.
We are thankful for the opportunity to hear it this morning. We are thankful for the opportunity to receive the truths and the benefits and the blessings of it. May those words echo in all of our ears this day. Come and see. Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us eyes to see this day. Lord, selfishly this morning, I pray that you would give me strength for the next few moments. Lord, help me speak your word in truth and spirit and power. Lord, and may it not be my words this day, but yours. Your people need you. I need you. And so we ask, we plea, O oh Lord, speak to us. We pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. John of Zebedee, one of the disciples and author of this letter, has set out to give us a multitude of case studies. Um, I've mentioned this before, and this will become more evident as we go through uh, the gospel, where we see people interact with Jesus, and we record how that interaction went. And for some, it will be belief. It will, will be just like Philip here, where he comes to Jesus, he hears the words of Jesus, and he believes the words of Jesus. We can think of others in the letter as well, the, the woman at the well being one in particular that comes to mind. Sometimes, though, um, there will be people who come to Jesus and we're left uncertain. I think of Nicodemus uh, by the end of John chapter 3. He hears the truth. He will, will get a, a full discourse on what it truly means to be born again. And yet we don't know. Does he believe? Does he not? Does he fall back into his, um, his ways of Judaism or does he trust in Jesus Christ? But then there are those that come to Jesus and they leave angry or they leave upset or they leave bothered. We think of the Jewish elite. We think of the Pharisees in this camp or this category. These are those who reject Jesus, reject his teaching, reject his message. And their purpose in coming is not to submit to him, but to show him false. To show that they are superior, that they are significant, that he has it all wrong. And more often than not, they leave discouraged. Because they find out they don't know as much as they think they do. When you're having a theological discussion with someone, you'd, you'd pick someone a lot weaker than Jesus if you want to prove them wrong. But as we go on in this gospel, and, and from this point forward, we're going to make some assumptions here because John doesn't always give us the play-by-play. Jesus is going to have a group of followers with him. He's going to have disciples that are going to be watching these interactions. They're going to be listening to the stories told. They're going to be hearing what he tells them and what they tell him. And, and for those men, for those 12, at least 11 of them, we know for sure, they will come in time to believe. But it takes time. It takes patience. It takes understanding. For many of them, it takes meeting them where they are, rebuking them, challenging them, calling them out. And yet Jesus is willing to do that across three years. It takes three years. And really, for, for I would dare say all of them, it takes the resurrection. It takes Jesus opening their eyes on the road or in the village after he has risen from the dead for them to truly see. But what I want us to focus on this morning is how Jesus works with people. How he is willing to walk with us, to, to see us as we are because he knows us. I want us to see two things from our text along those lines. Is first, Jesus calls his people to himself. He calls his people 
And then secondly, and related to that, he calls his people and can do so the way he does because he knows us and because he loves us. Jesus calls his people and he does so knowing them and loving them. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And let's begin with that call. And our passage tells us We've entered a new day. If you remember, John's gospel starts off with a, with a six-day window where we get something, an event, the next day, an event, the next day. We're here at the next day, the day prior. Uh, Jesus has called uh, three disciples to himself. And here he says, the passage opens up, Jesus decides to go to Galilee. Now it's a helpful question at this point to ask Why? Why does Jesus decide to go to Galilee? What is the driving force behind this decision? And we don't have to wonder. A lot of times we're left wondering. This time we're not. We're told very quickly in the passage, Jesus went to Galilee and found Philip and told him to follow me. Okay, so Jesus went to Galilee specifically to find Philip. Now, we need to think about this for a moment, because we learn a lot about Jesus here. Why did Jesus go to command Philip to follow him? We could ask it this way. Why did Jesus go to Galilee? Because Philip was in Galilee. We could think about it this way. Why did Jesus go to Galilee? Because Jesus had chosen Philip to believe. He had preordained him to salvation. We see this displayed in, in all, all sorts of passages in Scripture, but Ephesians 1 um, says this, Even as He, meaning Christ, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. God had chosen Philip to believe before the foundations of the world. And so Jesus went to Galilee for Philip. And while that's a, that's a topic all unto itself, and that, that's an opening of a deep can that we'll probably, Lord willing, spend the rest of my ministry unpacking here. Jesus knew Philip because he made Philip. Look at Psalm 139. You knew me in my mother's womb. Before I was made, you had the days of my life written. You count the number of hairs upon my head. I am known by you, O God. Would Jesus have found Philip in Hebron? Would would Jesus have found Philip in Jerusalem? No. Jesus went to Galilee to meet Philip there. And I love this interaction. I I love how this goes. How beautiful is this? Jesus goes to Galilee to find Philip. Jesus goes to Galilee and finds Philip. What does he say? Now, Philip, sit down, buckle up. You're going to get a primer on covenantal and and, uh, theology proper. And when I'm done, I'm going to ask you to accept these truths and then you can follow me. No, that's not it at all. Jesus preaches one of the shortest sermons ever recorded. He looks to Philip and says, follow me. And then what does Philip do? He follows immediately. I I love this. Remember that catechism we mentioned earlier, 155? What does the word of God preached do? 
It enlightens, convinces, and humbles sinners. It drives them out of themselves and unto Jesus Christ. I will admit, especially as being sick, it makes me nervous. Jesus preaches in two words. And here I am going to try to go for 30 minutes. But it's Jesus, right? You've got to give some credit there. Jesus, and only Jesus, could say to someone, you come with me. You are mine. I know you. And we know that Philip believes, don't we? We, we know that this was effective because of what happens next. What does Philip do? And, and this goes back to something we talked about a few weeks ago. What does evangelism look like? First, we receive the knowledge. Then we believe by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what was the intended consequence? What's the produced result? Knowledge, belief, sharing it. It's a natural outflow. We can't help it. If we have the knowledge, if we believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will by consequence tell others. We can't help it. Here, perfect example. Philip by God, by Jesus Christ. Follow me. Philip, next thing he does, he goes and finds someone to tell them. Philip runs to Nathanael. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now we learn a little bit about Philip. Philip understands parts of the Old Testament. He is familiar with the law. He is familiar with the prophets. He knows who Moses is. Again, you have to have the knowledge so that you can have faith by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can share the truth. He has received the information. Jesus brought clarification and, and now he is sharing that. And it's not just that he, he believes he believes in Jesus. He specifically believes in Jesus. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That's a deep level of faith after a one-sentence conversation, isn't it? That's a level of trust after one sentence. Follow me, and he's off telling others, we found the guy that the Old Testament's talking about. How many people are we going to run into in, the, in, in this gospel alone that miss that completely? How many religious leaders, how many scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, the people who kept the law, whose job it was to teach it and instruct it, are going to miss this point? And Philip Immediately, I got you. I believe, let's go. But Nathaniel's not like Philip. Nathaniel's different. For some people, when God calls, it is like that. He calls, we believe, and we move forward in belief for the rest and remainder of our lives. But for some people, there's questions. There's concern. There's worry, maybe misunderstanding. Philip is all excited, and you can, you can picture it in your head. Um, he's running to his friend, Nathaniel. We found him. We found the one that we've been looking for. You've got to come. <laughs> Nathaniel looks to Philip. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, there's a reason he, he made this, and, and um, I was thinking about how to explain this to you this morning. And I, can, I could give you an example that won't make sense to really 
any of you other than one other person in here who I know has got family in Ackerman. Um, I'm, I grew up in Ackerman, Mississippi, small town, no red lights, three places to eat. Um, I can tell you that one of my least desired places in the world to ever visit is Eupora, Mississippi. Why? Because they were our high school rivals. And that's where it stops. Regardless of the fact that that's the closest McDonald's to Ackerman, regardless of the fact that they had red lights and places to eat, and regardless of the fact that I have a great deal of friends from Eupora that I now can accept. But 15, 16, 17-year-old Aaron, we weren't having it. You didn't integrate or interact with Euporans. You thought lowly of them. That's kind of what's going on here. There's this idea, even within Jewish culture, how well are you keeping the law? How well are you at being a Jew? And for some, they were doing it better than others. And to say that someone was from Nazareth, I'm not saying you're the lowest of the low, but Nazareth was a nobody, was a no town, was a no name, no significance. It wasn't mentioned in the Old Testament, really. It wasn't brought up as a great deal. Nobody famous or fancy or important has come from there. And so to say you're from Nazareth, which again, I'll use a Mississippi reference, would be to say like you're from where my father was, Stewart, Mississippi. But even less if you know where that is. What do you mean the savior of the world, the Messiah, the, the man who is supposed to be the, the second coming or the better coming of Moses is from Nazareth? No, 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 no. He, he, he's way more important. He can't be from Nazareth. That's what you see here. It's just, just downright prejudice is what it is. And so Nathaniel is saying, you, you got it all wrong, Philip. It, you, it cannot be true. It cannot be true. But I tell you what, you got to give it to Philip. He doesn't argue. He doesn't do to him. Well, you see, theologically, here's the insignificance of that argument that you're making. And let me give you 10 points to show the immaturity of what you're saying so that I can convince you that you are wrong and I know what I'm talking about. Something we might be tempted to do in debating others. Philip taking a line right out of Jesus' own book with very few words Come and see. Come and see. D.A. Carson, he, he says on, this, uh, on that uh, response by Philip, Philip responded with the only satisfactory response possible. Honest inquiry is a sovereign cure for prejudice. Did you get that? Honest inquiry is a sovereign cure for prejudice. Just come see him is all I'm asking. He can stand for himself. I don't need to prove him to you. I don't need to show the folly of your ways. You're going to come to him and you're going to find out. And you will see. And this is the beauty of how Jesus works, isn't it? Jesus came to Philip directly. He believed. Philip went to Nathanael. Nathanael, and we'll see in the second section, will now go to Jesus and see for himself and also believe. And so while Philip was the agent, who was the one that called Nathanael? Ultimately, it's Jesus, right? If we take our cause and effects, right, to his ultimate conclusion. Philip only goes because of his interaction with Jesus. Nathaniel goes to Jesus because of Philip's interactions with Jesus because Jesus went to Galilee to meet Philip. And so Jesus calls both of these men in his own way and draws them to himself and deals with them specifically 
based on who they are, based on their background, based on their prejudices, based on all of that makes them them. And he does so patiently and he does so lovingly. And for many of us, that's how we come to know the Lord, isn't it? For some, you heard the word and you believed. You either read it, and I I love those stories. I I like to get them uh, frequently of someone that um, picked up a Bible. Um, That's why I'm such a big supporter of the Gideons. They were in a hotel. They were on a conference. They were um, out of town. They were bored. The TV didn't work. Whatever it is, they opened that drawer, and surprise, it hadn't been stolen or taken, and there it is, a Gideon Bible, and they read it and they believed. So many stories. Um, Find a Gideon, ask them about it, and they'll tell you the testimony that they hear. But for some of you, you had to be um, brought to Jesus. You know, growing up, my parents had a, a, a saying, it was called a come to Jesus meeting. And usually when we were going to have a come to Jesus meeting, it wasn't a good meeting. Because we were going to come hear the truth. And usually it was because we weren't following the truth. But for a lot of you, you had to have a come to Jesus meeting. You were drugged to church. You didn't have a choice. You were told by a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, you need to come hear this. And yet the outcome's the same, isn't it? For those who trust him by faith, they're granted the right to become sons and daughters of God. It doesn't matter how you come. It matters that you get here. And it doesn't really matter that you're here in this building. It matters that you know Jesus Christ. The beauty of Jesus, though, is he uses all sorts of means to accomplish his purposes. And he does that because he cares about his people. And that's what we see in the second section. Jesus is is a master at interacting with others, isn't he? Verse 47 tells us that Nathanael follows Philip. He takes his advice, come and see. And Jesus, seeing him coming, says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Jesus is doing something remarkable here. Jesus is differentiating between Israelites that have deceit and Israelites that don't. And what that means There are some who are of Israel, Israelite, by birth or um, by background, but don't follow the laws of being an Israelite. In modern terminology, we call this being nominal. If someone comes to you, and I don't know if someone would actually admit it, but if someone says, I'm a nominal Christian, or a nominal Catholic, or even I've heard lately, nominal Muslim, what they mean when they say that is, I tell you the title of Christian, of Catholic, or of Muslim, but if you looked at my life, if you watched me, and then measured me against the standard that it means to be a Christian, to be a Catholic, or be a Muslim, you wouldn't find the standard there. I am that by name, nominal name, only. I don't follow the practices, but I carry the title. And so what Jesus is saying here to Nathanael is you call yourself an Israelite and you act like one. Here's where this is remarkable though. How on earth does Jesus know that? How does Jesus know someone who calls himself an Israelite acts like an Israelite? Because he's Jesus is the simple answer. He is Jesus. But here's the beauty in this. Here's where Jesus is so clever. 
What did Nathanael just say about Jesus? What good could come from Nazareth? Nathanael is prejudiced against Jesus because of Jesus' upbringing. He is lumping all Nazareans together as, ugh, those people. So what does Jesus do the first time he interacts with Nathanael? He reverses it. You're one of those true Israelites, aren't you? I'm not going to treat you like you treat me. You are prejudiced against me, and I'm going to show that you actually are one who believes what you say and do what you say. I know you better than you know me. I understand you down to the core of your being. This is supernatural. This is something that only Christ can do. Christ is revealing his ability to differentiate truth from falsehood. And this gets Nathaniel's attention, as we would expect, right? You know, imagine someone came to you for the first time and, and, and had never met you before, knew nothing about you, knew nothing about your background. And they said, you're one of those Reformed Presbyterians, aren't you? You believe in Jesus Christ. You kind of look and, whoa, where'd you find that out? You've been stalking me on social media. Do you, you know where I work? If you talk to someone, who do you know? And that's what, that's what Nathaniel does. How do you know me? You, you have knowledge of me that not a lot of people have. How do you know me? To which Jesus responds, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Again, supernatural knowledge. He tells him, well, here's where you were when Philip came. I wasn't there physically, but being God, being the creator, I know you. And we really have a double meaning going on here. It's the same thing we dealt with last week. Jesus demonstrates a worldly knowledge. I know physically where you were. I know you were under the fig tree. But spiritually speaking, he is boring into the core of who Nathaniel is, isn't he? I know you. I know what's in your heart. I know what drives you. I know that you love the law and you desire to obey God and you desire to fulfill his will in your life. That's what's implied here. That, that's what, what Jesus would be giving to Nathaniel. And oh, the shift in attitude. <laughs> oh, how it changes, right? Nathaniel doubts Philip. Nathaniel questions Jesus. And then Jesus reveals to him, I know who you are. Immediate change. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. When his eyes are opened, when he is given eyes to see, which he could only have by the power of the Holy Spirit, he declares, this Jesus is of the line of David, one who will sit on the throne. That's what that means there. Rabbi is teacher. Son of God is a title given to the descendant of David, king of Israel. So he sees him as the promised one of David who would sit on the throne, who would reign forever, who would restore Israel to its proper place. He didn't fully understand the significance of what he was saying, but he did connect Jesus to the son of David. He's got faith. He believes. He believes in this man that he sees, in Jesus Christ. Excuse me. His belief, though, is based on predominantly miracles at this point. Jesus has performed two minor miracles in front of him, speaking to his heart, telling him where he was. 
And Jesus, again, Jesus knows him. He knows that this is the case. So he responds, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You believe because of these little things? Oh boy, buckle up. You will see greater things than these. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, sitting under a fig tree in the Old Testament, um, scholars often did this to think, to ponder the scriptures, to ponder theology. And there's, there's heavy speculation going on in this passage that Nathaniel was considering the passage of Jacob's ladder. That he was considering the passage when Jacob has his vision, he has his dream, that um, a ladder extends from heaven to earth, that angels come and go upon that ladder, and so there's a, a window open between heaven and earth for the angels to ascend and descend. So what does Jesus say to him, if that is true? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I am that ladder. I am the connection between earth and heaven. Upon me does the heavenly host do my will. You called me the Son of Man in the sense of I am the Son of David who will sit on the throne. I'm saying I am God. I am He. And, and really what, what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel here is, I will grow your faith. You have a little faith right now. You're, you're believing because what I've told you, you're going to see greater things. You're going to hear greater things. I'm going to take you through greater trials. And by the time we get to the end, you will believe in me. What love Jesus displays for Nathaniel here. For Philip, Jesus says, follow me, he follows him. For Nathaniel, it's kind of a rocky start, isn't it? But what does Jesus do? Uh, nope, you're not worth my time. Oh, wrong answer. Too bad. Let's pick another. No, he says, I'm going to show you greater things. In time, you will come to know me and see me. He lovingly walks alongside him. And the consequence of this, the, what will come out of this uh, for the 11 Anyway, excluding Judas, they're going to shape the world. We go to the, the book of Acts and we look at the rest of the New Testament and we look at the, the, the benefit of what this produces. These men, Philip and Nathaniel, look at Peter and Andrew, look at John who's writing this letter. We're still reading about what they saw and what took place. We today are benefiting over 2,000 years later from that conversation Jesus had with each one of them. Come and see. And so as we wrap up this morning, I, I want to think about two points of application for us. Jesus beckons all of us to come and see. But before we even get there, I, I want to remind you of this. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made by your Creator. He made you specifically. He made you intentionally. He knows the hair on your head. He knows the character traits. He picked the dominant and recessive traits that you have, your strengths, your weaknesses, your liabilities. We're all created by God for his glory and for his purposes. You may not even know him. You may not be given the opportunity to know him this out of heaven, but don't think less of God because he did so. 
And then secondly, one, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator God. Two, the one who made you loves you and he knows you and he cares about you and he will bring you to himself if you but believe and trust in him. And he will call you in a way that you will respond. You will respond in faith. We are told effectual calling is just that. It is effectual, it is effective. Those whom he calls, he redeems. And so I just wanna give you encouragement this morning, brothers and sisters. Often we can leave a sermon feeling like we've been through a boxing match and we just feel beat down and it's like, oh great, there's a whole other stack of things I gotta do. Well, how about this this morning? If we take away nothing else, let's be encouraged. We were made by a God who knows us, who is good, who is loving, who is kind. Just like with Philip, just like with Nathaniel, he calls us in a way that responds to who we are and how we were made. And that God who loves us doesn't give up on us, doesn't let us go. If you need an example of that, uh, go to Peter. <laughs> you, want a, you want a disciple to follow, follow Peter. Because he's going to fall on his face more than any of the other disciples publicly. And then turn around and be one of the most influential people for the kingdom of God. That's how God works with us. And what does he ask of us? Come and see. Don't come and see me. It's not about me. It's about him. Let us go to him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I have to say thank you for answered prayer. Thank you for giving me strength during this time of preaching of your word. Father, I thank you for your word and the truth it contains. I pray for everyone here that we would all be compelled to come and see the Savior. And by coming to him and seeing him, we would believe. And may we not give up on our loved ones, on our friends, our family members, our coworkers. May we continue to beckon them to you, God. May we continue to invite them to church, to invite them to Bible study, to invite them to times of fellowship. May we continue to show them Jesus Christ, knowing that we don't save, he does. And those whom he calls, they will respond in and by faith. Lord, we thank you for this time you've given us. May we be comforted by and through your word. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.